Hey everyone, welcome to Rolling Hills Online. Wherever you are in the world, we're glad that you're joining us today. In addition to our online campus, we have two physical locations in Franklin and Nolensville. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you in person. If this is your first time joining us, we would like to invite you to check out our new here page at rollinghillscommunity.org. Here, you can find out more about who we are, what we believe, and what to expect when worshiping with us. If you've been with us before and want to find out how to get involved, please visit our Next Steps page. This is where you can learn more about baptism, partnership, missions, community groups, and more. If you're joining us live, we encourage you to jump into our chat. This is a great way to connect with our online community and further discuss today's message. In addition to the chat feature, you will find today's sermon notes and a link to the Bible so that you can follow along. Have something that you would like for us to pray with you about? Click the prayer request link at the bottom of the page. We would be honored to join you in prayer this week. If you feel called to partner with us financially, you can give online through the giving page of our website. Your support allows us to continue this opportunity to share the message of Christ around the world. So thank you. Again, welcome to Rolling Hills. We hope that you feel at home. From beginning to end, He is the same. From dawn to dusk, from death to life, He is eternal. He is sovereign. He is our teacher, our healer, our provider, our redeemer. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. Great morning of worship and celebrating baptisms and praising Jesus. Wow, I'm already full. I love Easter. I just love this time and this celebration. Uh, do you know as you look throughout history that whenever the king would come into the room, everything would change, right? I mean, you think about the kings of England or the kings of France or you think about the pharaohs or the czars or the emperors of Rome. Whenever a king would come into the room, everything would change. All the attention goes on to the king. Right? Everybody stops what they're doing and focuses on the king. People's posture changes. People begin to bow before the king. Everything changes. People come and offer gifts to the king, and they don't offer, you know, like just their leftovers. They come to offer their best. They come to bring the best they have to the king. Why? Because the king holds the power of life and death for everybody there. And so they come into the presence of of the king. Well, here's the great news of Easter is this. The king of kings has come. The king of kings has stepped off of the pages of the Bible, stepped out of the tomb, and stepped into our world and into our lives. And the king of kings is here, and we have come to celebrate Jesus. See, Jesus, his name literally means salvation. And Jesus, Yeshua, salvation of the entire world. In fact, our scripture in Acts chapter 4 tells us this. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the king of all. He has conquered death for which nobody else could do, right? No other king. He conquered death and he reigns supreme. So we know that Jesus is eternal. He has always been and he will always be. In the beginning was the word. The word in Greek, the, the rational principle that governs this universe. In the beginning, Jesus. And Jesus is there 
in the future. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But isn't it awesome to know that Jesus is already there? And he is sovereign over all. I don't know what you brought in today. I don't know what your worries are, your fears, your anxieties. But listen, Jesus is sovereign over them all. If he could conquer death, he can handle whatever you're facing in your life. And Jesus is our teacher. He shows us the way of God. He shows us how to live. Jesus is our healer. He meets our our deepest needs spiritually, emotionally, physically. And he is our provider. He meets our every need relationally, financially. And he is our redeemer. (laughs) He buys us back. When we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, God made us alive in Christ. He redeemed us. And today we celebrate that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote in Mere Christianity. He said, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And everyone must choose. So what do you believe about Jesus? There's a lot of questions out there about Jesus, right? You can Google Jesus and get all kinds of answers. You can watch specials on CNN or Fox, or you can, you know, see network TV or movies. But, but what do you believe? Who is Jesus to you. And not your parents' faith, or not your family's faith, not your church's faith, not, you know, your country's faith, but what about you? What do you believe about Jesus? Because the fact of the matter is this, it's Easter, and the King has come here into this room, and Jesus, Jesus is the name above all names. So let's talk about Jesus. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Now, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We've got some Bibles in the back. We'd love to give you a free Bible. It's yours. You can put your name in it and and just hang on to the Scriptures. I encourage you to start reading the Bible. It's just so deep and rich that God's Word for us. And and we're going to be in John, which is the fourth book, New Testament. John chapter 20. Now, John was written by the disciple John. And John was with Jesus. He, he spent three years listening to Jesus teach. He saw the miracles unfold. John was the only disciple that was at the cross when Jesus was crucified for our sins. And now we see John coming to the tomb. So this is an eyewitness account of what happened on that first Easter. Now, if you don't have a Bible, maybe you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures, or we'll put the scriptures on the screen. But pick up here in John chapter 20, look at verse 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Now, that's Sunday morning, right? Uh, the Jewish people, they, they celebrate Shab- uh, Sabbath on Shabbat, Sabbath, Saturday. And so Sunday is the first day of the week. So here we are on Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So we know from the other Gospels that Mary and some of the other women they go there on that Sunday morning, and they're going to anoint Jesus' body. But we also know that there was a huge stone that was in front of the tomb. Uh, we had a chance in October to take a biblical study tour and go to Israel. And uh, we do about every three years. We'll take a group from church. And I encourage you, if you've never been, hey, you ought to go. It's awesome to see. But, but we saw a stone like this that would have been in front of the tomb. We also went to the garden tomb, which... Many people believe it was the place where Jesus' body was laid. And if you look, there's kind of a gully in front where the stone would have been rolled and put in place to block the entrance to the tomb. Now, not only was there a stone there, 
But there was also Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. And not only were there Roman soldiers guarding the tomb, there was the Roman seal, we know from Matthew 27, on the stone, which literally meant this. If anybody moves the stone, you will die, okay? That's basically what it means, and the Romans were really experts at killing people. So you didn't want to move the stone. So Mary and the women are heading to the tomb, and they start to think, hey, there's a big stone. Maybe the guards will help us move it. I don't know. But they get there, and the stone has been rolled away. The stone is gone. So she, verse 2, came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. i got to stop right there because this is, this is really amazing to me. So here you go. Jesus had told his disciples. I mean, you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He had said over and over again, I will be killed. I will be crucified. And after three days, I will rise again. And so here's Jesus in the tomb, right? He's dead. And on Easter Sunday morning, he comes alive. And he pulls the linens off. And he takes the burial cloth that was around his face. And he just starts to fold it up. Have you ever been to a really nice restaurant? And after you finish this great meal, you take the napkin. And what do you do? You just fold it up, don't you? And you put it down on the table. And you're like, that's it. Man, it was so good. And you just imagine Jesus is folding it up going, that's it. That was so good. And he just gets up and he walks out of the tomb. He just walks out. I mean, how awesome is that? There's a door that they put when the garden tomb is closed. And they just, it just says this. He's not here. He's not here. For he is risen. See, you could go to the tombs of, of so many world leaders, right? You could go to the tombs of kings. Go to Westminster Abbey and walk around and see all these kings who have come and they've gone. But I want to tell you, when you go to the garden tomb in Israel and you go and you look in, he's not there. Jesus is alive. He conquered death. <laughs> it says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and notice these four words. Look at this. If you underline your Bible, underline this. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. I get it. This is what Jesus was talking about. He's not just a political Messiah. He was the salvation of the world. This is what he came to do. But the other disciples, they hadn't gotten it yet. They still did not understand from Scripture, all the Old Testament, everything leading up, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then one of the disciples went back to their homes, right? But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. So you can picture the scene. You know, Mary, she's coming to the tomb. The stone's been rolled away. She drops the spices. She runs back to get Peter and John. She says it's empty. They take off sprinting. And then she's like, ah, oh, here we go. She's running back, you know, and they're already gone by the time she gets back. So she stands at the tomb. She's crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, and one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
An interesting question in a cemetery, isn't it? (laughs) Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, why didn't she realize it was Jesus? Well, Jesus was in his resurrected body, right? I mean, these bodies are going to wear out. We all know that. I mean, as we get older, we're like, oh, yeah, it's starting to wear out. You know, these bodies are going to wear out, but our soul goes on. Our soul is eternal. And so when we go to heaven, there's a resurrected body. Praise God for that. Some of you have been with your parents or even your grandparents in the later days of their life, and you've kind of watched that process, and you're just going, thank God for a, a new body. Thank God for a resurrected body. Thank God that my... My parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents who knew Jesus, they're at home in heaven and they're celebrating right now. Thank you, God, for the hope in Christ. Well, she didn't recognize Jesus. And woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. Okay, I got to stop right here again because this is so powerful to me. She looks at Jesus and she thinks he's the gardener. Now, remember when God created the world? You remember in the beginning, right, it says God created, he created the heavens and the earth, he created everything, the mountains, the oceans, and and God created, he created the earth, and he put it in just the right place. If we were too close to the sun, we would burn up. If we were too far away, we would freeze to death, right? He, He just put the solar system in place and everything in place. See, I think it takes more faith to not believe in God than to believe in God. I mean, I really do, because, I mean, look at your eye, you can visually see things far away and close, your brain to process didn't just happen, right? I mean, God made it all. And God made Adam and Eve. He made man and woman. And where did he place them? In a garden, right? He put them in a garden. It was the Garden of Eden, and it was beautiful. I mean, think about the most beautiful place you can imagine. I mean, waterfalls, fruit trees, animals that you were friendly. They're not scary, right? And they're just like, it's perfect. There are no allergies, Praise the Lord, right? I mean, there no mosquitoes. I mean, you're just like, it couldn't be any better. Adam and Eve are in right relationship with God. They are fully known. They're fully accepted. Right relationship with the Lord. And they're in right relationship with one another. In their marriage. With their kids. It is perfect. Perfect. Except there's this one tree that God says, hey, uh, there's this tree over here. Stay away from this tree, right? I'm going to put it there, but you stay away from it. And everything is fantastic in the garden until what? Until Adam and Eve go, well, God, we don't want to do it your way. Hey, hey, check me out and my pride and my arrogance. I'm going to go and I'm going to take. I'm going to take. And they sinned. They disobeyed God. And they broke that relationship with God. Holy God, sinful man. But how awesome that God didn't give up on them and God doesn't give up on us. And when we sin, when we make mistakes, God has already set in motion a plan to redeem us, to restore us. And that plan is Jesus. And she looked around and she thought he was the gardener who came to make all things new. All things right to put us back in right relationship with God, to impact all of our other relationships. She sees Jesus as the gardener. (laughs) I love what God's doing here. 
And she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Do you know that Jesus knows your name? Jesus calls her by name. And he knows your name. He knows your name. And he knows what's going on in your life. He knows your hurt, your pain, your fear, your worry. He knows you better than you even know yourself. He created you for a reason and for a purpose. He even knew you would be here today because he's drawing you to himself and inviting you into a relationship with him. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father, and watch this, and your Father. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Jesus said, I've made a way for you to call God Father. I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, exclamation point. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Guys, this is awesome. This is Easter. And what I love about this too is that Jesus reveals himself first to a woman. Now that's powerful because back in this day, uh, women, no offense, but, but back in this day, women were kind of considered second-class citizens. They didn't have hardly any rights. And yet Jesus came along and said, no, 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 you matter. You matter to me. The New Testament tells us there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Jesus came for all people. All people matter to Jesus, regardless of gender or race or nationality. Jesus was making a statement here to say, hey, I have died for your sins. All people matter to me. And the second thing I think that's powerful is you look at Mary, and Mary Magdalene, she had some baggage, right? I mean, we all do, right? But, but she, had some, she had some demons. She had some issues that she had dealt with. But so did Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. When you look at the Bible, sometimes we read it and we think these guys were superheroes, like they had it all figured out. No, no, they were ordinary people like you and me who met an extraordinary God, a God who changed their life, a God who redeemed and restored them in the joy and the peace and the purpose that comes in God alone through Jesus. Now, read this passage and sometimes I think, well, where was King Herod? King Herod was the king over Judea. Where where was he? Where was Caesar? Where were the religious leaders? I mean, Jesus conquered death, right? Nobody else had done that. Jesus appeared to over 500 people. I mean, the church is on fire. Why aren't these guys showing up? You know why? If you go back to verse 5 and you look in verse 11, it tells us this, that that Peter bent over and went into the tomb. It tells us in verse 11 that Mary bent over and looked into the tomb. You see, when you go to the garden tomb in Israel, you, you can't walk in straight up. You can't walk in with your chest out and puffed up. Your posture's got to change. And you've got to bend down. And you've got to recognize that he is God and you're not 
And so often in our pride and our arrogance, we want to take as much from me, more from me, 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 because it's my kingdom, it's me, it's all about me. And there's a God who says, no, 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 no. Your life only makes sense when you realize that I am God. And when you begin to say it's all about you, that's when you come alive. That's when you see me do what only I can do. If I were to ask you visually, just kind of in your mind, uh, to make a line up here. And on one side over here, put the worst person that's ever lived, okay, in history. You just kind of think about that. I don't know who that is for you, right? Maybe Hitler, Stalin, or Lenin. Maybe Stalin and Lenin together because they killed more of their own people than all the wars combined. I mean, but whoever the worst people are over here. And then on this side over here, put the best people that you think have ever lived, that have impacted history. And maybe you over here, you're going to put, you know, Mother Teresa, right? Or Billy Graham. Or maybe the best people you've ever known, right? Maybe you think about a, a grandparent or somebody. They were just so godly. They were amazing. They were just like, they were your role model, your hero. You put them over here. Now let me ask you, where would you fall in this line? And maybe you go, well... <laughs> I'm not like Hitler or Stalin, okay, so I'm way over, I mean, I'm over here. But I don't know if I'm like Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, right? Maybe I'm in the middle. Well, I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm a little bit over here. And I know a lot of you, you're awesome. You're amazing. So maybe, maybe we're kind of moving over here in the 60th percentile, 70th, 80th, 90th percentile. Maybe we're kind of pushing over this way. But see, here's what the problem is with this, is this is the way we live. We're always comparing ourselves to other people. Did you notice the little dig that John gets in here? He says, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He's like, bam, Peter, I dominated you, you know, <laughs> right here. It's like, you were slow, man. Come on, pick it up. And, and you know, it's just kind of inching up, but that's the way our mind is. And maybe it's because we grow up playing sports and we're always competing, we're comparing ourselves, or maybe it's our culture. And it's social media, and we always look at ourselves and how many likes we get, how many followers we have, how many friends we have. And we're comparing ourselves by what other people look like, how compared to us. We look at our weight. We think about how much money we have. Somebody once said, you know, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even know. <laughs> right? We go into more and more debt. Why? Because we're living this. We're always looking here. We're always comparing here. But think about Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. What separated them? They didn't spend their life comparing to everybody else. They spent their life submitting to God and saying, God, here's my life. I want to live my life for you. They didn't spend all their energy over here going, I'm going to be consumed with the world. I'm going to be consumed with everybody who thinks about me. No, I'm going to be consumed with Jesus. And I'm going to follow Jesus. And I want to bring glory to Jesus and to change the world. I was having breakfast with a, a guy this week, and just an awesome guy, amazing. And we were sitting there, and we were talking, and he said, he said, Jeff, you know, man, I have this great marriage. I've been married 17 years. I have a wonderful wife. She is awesome. I ha have a great family. He said, I love my job. He said, I love being here at church. I love what God's doing here at Rolling Hills. He said, you know, you just look at my life. It's, it's, it's amazing. But but you know, there's people who've known me for a long time. And there's people who've known me and they look at me and they say, hey, what's the difference? Because they know that my first marriage failed miserably. 
They know that, you know, hey, financially, I, I was at rock bottom. They know that my best friend for a long time was liquor. And they look at me and they just say, hey, what's the difference? And I tell them this, God, I just tell them flat out, I submitted my life to Christ and he came in and he changed everything. And I, I'm the man I am today because of Christ. See, that's what Christ wants to do in us. Jesus stepped off the pages of the Bible. Jesus stepped out of the tomb and he stepped into our lives and into the mess and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain. And he came to redeem and to restore he came to make us new, and he came to invite us on a journey to follow him, to trust him, to fall more in love with him, and that's what Easter Sunday is. See, Easter Sunday means this. It means that in our lives, we can move from death to life. Guys, the Bible tells us that we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. You've sinned, I've sinned, and we were dead. A price had to be paid, but we were made alive in Christ Everybody's afraid of death, right? But now we know that we can have eternal life in Christ. We move from death to life. We move from darkness to light. We were in the darkness of our sin, the darkness of our guilt, the darkness of our shame, until Jesus brings us into the light of his love and the light of his grace and the light of his hope. Hey, Easter Sunday moves us from slaves to freedom. We were slaves to our sinful nature, right? We couldn't get enough. We couldn't consume enough. We couldn't take enough. There was never enough money. There was never enough prestige. There was never enough power. There was never enough of people seeing us to the freedom of living life as we were meant to live it, to really enjoy it, to not be concerned about the world, but to live for the glory of God. Easter Sunday means this, that we move from unrighteous to righteous. The Bible says that God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, he was perfect, to be sin so that you and I would become the righteousness of God. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That's called substitutionary atonement. That's called Jesus stepping in and taking our place. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't run a videotape of all the mistakes you've made, of all the mess-ups that you've had. You know what? He looks at you and he sees, when you're in Christ, he sees Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? It means this, that we move from blind to sight. Remember John said, hey, I looked in and he saw and believed. I get it. Here's what God's doing. Jesus is alive. What did Mary say? I have seen the Lord. And you guys, when God opens our eyes and we see him, our lives will never be the same. And he moves us from sorrow to joy. From sorrow to joy. The grief of having no hope to the joy of knowing that our God is greater. And he moves us from fear to faith. From fear to faith. Wouldn't it be awesome to live life with just faith? Not being afraid of tomorrow. Not being afraid of what's going to happen with our family. Not being afraid of, of, of what may come. But just being faithful to God and knowing that God is in control. And I'm going to live my life every day in faith. That's what Easter Sunday is. I want you to watch this right now. You know, our life in California, uh, for many years, there was just a prolonged period of 
things just falling in place. Everything was good. It was like a, it was like summer vacation that just went on forever, you know. All of that changed in about uh, 08. Uh, that's when uh, the mortgage industry kind of imploded. And, um, you know, for the first time, uh, things were not going well. Um, it was at that, that point, <laughs> I look back on it now, and my faith was not that deep. We decided, hey, look, we, we're going to have to downsize. We can't live this, you know, big Orange County lifestyle anymore. And that had become far too important to us. And part of just the journey the past few years has been to realign my ambition toward pleasing God. Once I took the emphasis, you know, off myself and uh, my ambition got lined up with, with Christ, um, things happened again. They happened easy, but it was it was God's grace. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. We transitioned from uh, California to Kentucky, and that was hard. That was hard. Um, I thought that our adversity was behind us, you know, when we made the decision to close the business and move to Kentucky, never realizing that the biggest challenge was still ahead. You know, there was a lot of stress, you know, at, at that period, just with the move, the downsize uh, of our lives. and. Um, it, it, did, it never occurred to me that it was anything more than back problems. It, you know, it's a blur for me. It was a lot of just medical terms flying at me. And I'm hearing about every third word and everything changes when you get that diagnosis. You're instantly thrust into, am I gonna get better as a result of this or am I gonna get bitter? You come to it real fast. And I knew at that point, I knew enough about God and God being sovereign. I accepted it, but I was still angry, right? And so I, I searched and I was reading and I poured myself into scripture because I, I wanted to understand, I wanted to understand what the purpose was for this. What, God, what, what, are you, what are you doing? When you surrender to God being sovereign and none of this being an accident or bad luck, um, then you can start to find purpose. There was a time in my life where, again, God was part of it. But today, because of what I've been through, um, Christ saturates my life, my thoughts. At some point, we're all gonna face adversity. Mine just happens to be cancer, but whether it is, you know, marital adversity or financial adversity or career adversity or um, the loss of a child or, it, it's, it's endless. Are you going at that point to abandon your faith when it gets really difficult? Um, are you gonna acknowledge that God is sovereign in everything and that God can use this for good?
Uh, Tim, thank you for sharing your story uh, with us today. Um, tell us, when did you make Jesus the king of your life, the Lord of your life? Uh, it was at the point of my life, Jeff, where uh, I, I became obedient, you know, where I uh, surrendered my, uh, my will. Um, there's a misconception, you know, about, about cancer, and it's associated so much with, with fighting. Mm. And it's, it's not like that in my life. It's not like I, I, I plug in a Rocky movie in the morning, right? And, and I go eat a bunch of raw eggs and chase a chicken around and, you know, run through the streets of Franklin. It, it doesn't work that way. It is, it is surrendering my will, and that, that occurs on a daily basis. Mm. Um, you know, if you're, if you're here today, if you're visiting, it's Easter and cancer, everybody's got a cancer story. It, it touches all of our lives. And if you are living your life without Jesus Christ, I say this with all the love in my heart, there is no hope. There is no hope. Um, I'm blessed to have so, so many friends. Some of them are believers, Jeff, and some of them are, are non-believers. And it's a strange thing when a non-believer tries to give me comfort because they can't, they can't give hope because they don't have it themselves. And then it's, you know, it's a, they're reduced to, to things like, um, you know, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Or, um, you know, I'm sending positive energy your way, which I'm not being facetious, but that sounds like some Jedi mind trick, right? And if, if Jesus Christ is not foremost in your life, whether it's cancer or another form of adversity, you're going to struggle. And if you live your life without Christ, there truly isn't any hope. Mm. How have you grown in your faith journey through all of this, you know? I mean, you've had the successes, and, and yet then you've also faced adversity. You know, all of us, I, I, if we peel it back, we would all admit that the growth that occurred in our lives occurred during struggle. It, it occurred during adversity. We don't, we don't grow when things are great in our life. Um, it's when there is resistance. And, um, you know, for me, <laughs> you know, through the years I've been an avid reader. And, and listen, it didn't matter what the success book was. You know, SpongeBob SquarePants could have had a book on success, and I'm reading it. But when you get adversity coming into your life, this is where I turn to. This was my strength. Um, the mistake that I see people make, Jeff, is that when adversity does come, we're so quick to pray for God to relieve us, to heal us, to get rid of it, not acknowledging that that same sovereign God who allowed it, you're now asking so quickly to relieve it. And my, my encouragement to you is, when that happens, ask God for wisdom to understand why he allowed it to begin with. Um, and then nothing, nothing accelerates your growth more than 
when you see God's grace rain down in your life, when you see answers to prayer and things that happen, and um, that pushes your faith, that encouragement. And I just wanted to read this from Job for some obvious reasons, obviously. I relate a little bit to Job. But in Job 42, and this is where I try to live my life now, I, I try to live in Job 42. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now uh, my eye sees you. Hmm. When you see God um, in your pain, You come up here with Jeff, it's like being interviewed by Oprah. There's always going to be some tears. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's powerful when you see God in this. Well, Tim, what, what would you say to, to us about investing in what's really important and what's going to last? Uh, I'll, I'll use the analogy. Um, I've said this before of like, you know, our lives, they're like a UPS box, and we've got something that's actually important in the box, and then it's filled with all of these packing peanuts. And, you know, my life before, I was not only concerned with what was in the box, it was like I stressed over everything and every, every packing peanut that was in there in the box and the tape. And cancer narrows your, your focus, and it... It has allowed me now, I, I, it's really down to three things in my life. It is my relationship with Jesus Christ, mm. knowing that he allows this for the development of my character. God's much more concerned about our character, folks, than he is our comfort. Mm. Um, I guess the second thing in my box today would be the circle of influence that I have. Each of us in this room, God has providentially put people in your life. The only thing that separates us is just the degree the, of that circle. And I feel that there's a stewardship of, of um, influence and, and how you use your life. And uh, I want my life to radiate in my circle of influence. And last would be my family. You know, they're, they're out here. Jeff talked last week just about the trajectory of our lives. And my life in California was very different and uh, built around the business and conventions and an Orange County lifestyle. And... I look back at it now, and that trajectory was not a good one. It was not a healthy one. And where would my, where would my children be today um, if we had stayed in California? They're not perfect kids, trust me, but, but they love the Lord. And um, there's no amount of financial success. There's nothing you can achieve in your career that 
means more than your children loving God and serving God. You'd give it all at the end of your life to see your children love God and serve God. We're so fond as Christians of quoting Romans 8.28, and people will say that to me, all things work together for good, but they don't necessarily focus on the back half of that verse, which is, that's reserved for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. My encouragement to each of you is adversity is going to come. It may not be cancer, but adversity is going to come in our life. Prepare your life. Love God. Seek his purpose over your own. Tim, thank you so much for sharing today. Appreciate you, my friend. Love you, my brother. <laughs> You know, guys, we don't know what tomorrow holds for any of us. (laughs) But we know this, that Jesus conquered death. And Jesus made a way for all of us to have a relationship with him. And for us to live our lives and follow him. And that's what's most important. And that's what Easter is about. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the service. And we want to encourage you to reflect on today's message throughout the week. Here at Rolling Hills, our goal is to raise up a community of disciples to be the hands and feet of Christ, and we hope that you will partner with us in doing so. How do you do that? Well, here are several ways. First, join us every Sunday, either online or at one of our physical locations. Join us as we worship our God and learn more about Him and His plan for us. Second, get connected. Check out our Next Steps page on the site to find out how you can engage with us further by serving or joining a community group. And lastly, we want to invite you to partner with us financially. You can do that online through the giving section of our site. All tithes and offerings go to support our ministries both locally and internationally, enabling us to impact lives and share God's word. Again, we are so glad you joined us today. Have a great week.